Welcome everyone to Monday Motivations with that motivational guy, Tony Canavero. Hey, that's me. Every Monday I'm bringing you motivation, mindset, training, book reviews, powerful guests, and sometimes some randomness from my entirely too many hobbies. Uh, for show notes, head on over to thatmotivationalguy.com slash podcast. There might even be some free gifts around there if you look around. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and make sure you get your regular Monday dose of motivation. Now, let's do this. Hey gang, welcome to That Motivational Guy, episode 6. Today we're interviewing a gentleman with a very uh, exciting and storied background, Mr. Mark Menke. I've got uh, so much out of this episode and this recording that I needed to break it into two shows. So this show is going to come to you on Monday, and then the follow-up part 2 is going to be on Thursday. So a little bit of an irregular release, but I want to make sure that you get this in a bite-sized form. I want to give you a little bit of bio on Mark prior to you tuning into the actual interview here. Uh, Mark was a bio-infantry soldier, 91 to 95 with the Canadian Armed Forces. United Nations tour of Croatia in 94 during the, uh, shall we say, challenging times there during the genocide. He's a realtor. He's an author of Why Not Me? The Keys to Unlock Your Power and Release Your Potential and author of The Home Seller's Bible for Owners, Agents, and Investors. He's the host of the Mikey uh, Show podcast and Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery podcast. This is Chock-A-Block. Make sure you've got a pen handy and take some notes and make sure you tune into episode two as well. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of That Motivational Guy podcast. Um, I'm super jacked today. We've got a very special guest. Actually, he's going to be our first official guest on the podcast, and I'm really proud to bring him to you today. Uh, I think he's got some uh, very, very timely, practical information that we can all use in this time of challenge and unrest and uncertainty, uh, and that's Mr. Mark Minky. Um, I said that right, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to correct you, but it's pretty close. Pretty was close. Was it Minky or Minky? Minky. 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 All right. Well, we're going to edit that part out. But I've got today uh, with me Mark uh, uh, Minky. There Good we go. go. All Good right. Go. Well done. <laughs> uh, he's a, a realtor, a veteran, um, a podcaster, an author. Uh, a political, outspoken, really interesting guy from Okotoks, Alberta, Canada, uh, who's got a fantastic background uh, that I'm really interested to see the value that he brings to uh, you, our listeners today. And I want to bring him in and introduce him here. Uh, he just recently did an article that's on Todayville, I believe. The uh, link will be in the show notes for you to follow up on, but it was called A Soldier's Mindset essentially, and it was really focused in around how uh, the soldier's mindset has really helped people that have served in the, in the armed forces deal with the challenging times with COVID. So I want to bring Mark in. Mark, how are you doing today? Thanks for having me on, Tony. I'm doing really well. Great. Well, it's my pleasure to have you. Uh, so tell me, just give us that Cole's note little background. I mean, you've got such a varied background. This might take a little while, but Give us the uh, kind of thumbnail sketch of who you are and, and what you're focused on these days. Well, there's a common theme with me, and it's to be of service. And I've just always been a healthy helperson and have wanted to 
do my bit for the greater good kind of thing. And that started actually as being a soldier. But although it wasn't altruistic when I did it, though, uh, when I decided to be a soldier is because I was such a goofball in high school. I really didn't know what, I, what else I could do. And I'd realized, geez, I just pissed away my high school years. Uh, <laughs> got the bare minimum to get a high school diploma. So frick, I better do something because I think I should have probably put in a little bit more effort when I had the chance. And um, so it was actually when I was working at Tim Hortons Donuts is working the night shift and the guys uh, that um, the people that would come in at night, they were the same regulars, the same regulars every time. And, um, and I noticed that they were really bitter and uh, regretful of their life. And they just sit there with a broken look on their face and uh, complain, complaining about uh, the things they could have, should have, would have. And the older I get, the better I was. So I thought, Hmm, that's going to be me. Cause here I am. I was 20 years old working in a Tim Hortons going, ah, that's my future. God damn it. I better do something about that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I decided to join the military. Uh, and the idea was, I have no idea what I'm getting into, but I'll be better off. It's a three year commitment and it'll be a good resume stuffer. It's something and something's better than nothing. So, so I did it. And, um, Ever since, it's always been the same kind of idea. Um, what can I do that's good for the betterment of others? Um, at the time when I joined, it was the Gulf War. So that sense was, well, my grandfather did it, my other. So I want to be of service as well. I want to serve my country and just be of service in any, any capacity that I can. And that is still driving me today. I run a peer support group for veterans. Uh, well, I help run one with a friend of mine. I have a peer support podcast. So I have two podcasts. One is for, for fun. And the other one is out of a sense of uh, duty and contribution and helping. It's called Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans and for first responders. Because uh, we all have trauma is trauma is trauma. doesn't matter if you saw it in a war like I did or the daily soup of human society like the first responders do it still has the same effect on your life and not good effects at all so so what what really motivated you to take your we're going to get into the article in a minute but i want to explore this a little bit more what motivated you to go from because uh, I think at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, at the time you started the podcast, you, your primary focus was a realtor um, in, in the Calgary, Okotoks in Alberta. Um, and what motivated you to go from being someone who attended a peer support group to someone who became a champion of, of uh, those people that need some help? Well, I, I was asked to start taking over the peer support group. When I was first invited out to it, I thought, oh, my God, that's not for me. What are we going to do, sit in a circle, hold hands, and sing kubaya? You know, just not my bag of chips. And um, But the guy that was running it at the time was quite persuasive, and I went. And thank God I did. It turns out peer support works. And, th- and that's actually the short answer to your question. I know it works. Uh, it's actually clinically proven now. And you shouldn't just do peer support. It should be peer support plus therapy. It should be a blended deal. But not everybody has access to peer support. And that's what 
had me make the podcast because while we were while we're there in person in in group some of the people would be like oh man that was such a good lesson and i, I want to be able to share that how do we do that so well, well this is a very private environment uh, so we we can't have a camera rolling in here but i already had uh the Mankey show podcast so eventually it dawned on me he's like oh all i gotta do is one one more podcast i already got all the gear i've already spent the money and Operation Tango Romeo was born. Tango Romeo is uh, the phonetic alphabet for TR, and it uh, stands for Trauma Recovery. So it's Operation Trauma Recovery. Fantastic. And it's not just for us. It's, it's also for our families because right. we're really tough to understand, and that's part of the problem of transition from military to civilian life is that we speak our own language and have our own way of communicating and other people, some people um, are really off put by it. Uh, the type of humor, the directness, uh, it's seen as aggressive and uncomfortable. So then we, feel, then, we, then we feel uncomfortable. A great deal of us actually end up being truck drivers just so we can just get away from people because we, uh, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings anymore. And we don't want that sense of rejection that we tend to get all the time because we don't fit. It's like square peg in a round hole and you can't get it out of you. You can adapt and and learn um, how to not stick out like a sore thumb in civilian life. But a lot of the uh, people I served with never did figure out how to do that, how to have, uh, how to play that role. Right. That's what it is. It's the role of civilian and it's really difficult. And in a lot of cases, they, they can't do it. And that's part of the reason that our suicide rate is as high as it is. It's frightening, actually. It's frightening. It, I read this. I've got a lot of vets that are friends. And, and so I pay attention to it. Someone actually was planning on being in the military as a young man and some things didn't pan out. So it's quite near and dear to my heart, um, people that serve. And thank you for your service. But the stats are frightening, Mark. They are, and we're not the only subset of uh, society that has a high suicide rate. Um, the transgender community is off the charts, uh, whether they transitioned or not. It's uh, still off the chart suicide rate. But talk about square peg in a round hole. Like when you right. feel like you don't fit, when you don't have that sense of connection, and uh, transgendered people, I would imagine, because it's such a small, small subset of uh, society, and it's not understood i think by anybody Mm -hmm. um of course you feel disconnected from society right right, of course you do and it's um uh, and even even more so than than veterans right but um when you that sense of disconnection is is really really difficult matter of fact there's um a youth trauma support group in calgary it'll the the name of it will come to me uh in a moment i've I've had the founder of it on my show and it's all about connection there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she honestly believes that trauma causes disconnection mm-hmm. and disconnection causes everything else. That's, mm-hmm. that's a problem. The drug addiction, all of it as right. people feel disconnected and lonely and, and on their own. Um, peer support helps bridge that. Mm-hmm. And 
matter of fact, I am going to be, uh, I got a couple more projects I have to get done first, but I'm going to be writing a, a, um, a manual basically uh, for peer support. What makes a good peer supporter one-on-one and also what makes a good peer support facilitator because really everybody needs a peer support group. Everybody. Uh, Interesting. Sorry, sorry to interject. Um, I just finished reading not that long ago. It's actually on my shelf back there, uh, a book called Recovery by Russell Brand. <clears throat> And it's really Russell Brand's take on the 12-step program that was, of course, made uh, almost institutionalized by the AA movement. And um, one of the key cornerstones of that 12-step program is that peer support. Um, it just won't work unless you have that peer support. Um, so really interesting that that um, how integral that's been for you. What would you say would be some of the, I mean, people that are not involved in the service or not involved in frontline, um, you know, law enforcement or, or uh, first responder roles, we really don't have any concept, most of us, of, of kind of, you know, what, what happens there. What, would, what, would, what are some common myths do you hear uh, perpetrated about, you know, veterans, uh, PTSD, uh, trauma, um, those kinds of things. What, what do you think are those common pervading myths that you'd like to see go away? That's an interesting question. That's actually a really good one. Um, one that I've seen pervasively, um, and I've seen it in the world of fundraising, oddly enough. Um, I'll give you the example, then I'll explain. So because I have a, uh, a veteran's uh, support group and and support uh, podcast. I have met quite a few people that also have an organization to support veterans. One of them is um, a friend of mine, Todd Heisey, who founded the Veteran Hunters. He finds and funds hunts for veterans. Well, even within the veteran community, um, he was de- he was denied funding from a few different uh, organizations, major organizations that are proposed to be supporting veterans. Um, He said, yeah, we were going to give you the money because, you know, uh, clinically proven, blah, blah, blah. But we've decided that veterans with PTSD shouldn't be carrying guns around in the woods. So, oh, well, isn't that interesting? The people that are the highest trained and most familiar and safe with firearms, you think that because the PTSD, we shouldn't have firearms. Well, that's complete horseshit. Uh, there's a great deal of us at uh, the local gun range, and that's our catharsis. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, going to the range is incredibly peaceful somehow. <laughs> All mm-hmm. that violence coming out the end of your barrel, it's, like, it's almost like it takes it out of you and, and throws it down range and, and beats up that uh, piece of paper target at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about the range that's very, very relaxing. It's um, mostly because it's so mindful. It's incredible mindfulness, kind of like going to the batting cages. It's a lot like that. Mm-hmm. You've got to be thinking about all kinds of things, like all of these different components of your form, just to finally make contact with that ball, and hopefully it uh, it, it goes in the direction that, that, that it was intended. And that is uh, a close analogy to the range. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's extremely mindful. There's all these different components that, that, that go together before the, um, that, that trigger gets squeezed. And it's very, very mindful. So it just keeps you in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's very, very pudic. 
I would yeah, say I mean, that, um, yeah. you know, I've definitely spent my time behind, um, you know, behind a firearm, grew up with firearms my entire life and um, have spent very little time on a range, mostly out in rural Saskatchewan where there's nothing but space. So, uh, you know, let's just say it was a little different, but, you know, to be, to be accurate, uh, you need to be focused in a, on only what you're doing. So it's almost like a form of meditation where, where for that moment, those moments in time, there's nothing else coming into your brain. You, you're into a no mind sort of situation. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And, and that's the, the point of meditation is to not be thinking about anything. And the next right. thing about, uh, that's the best thing about not thinking about anything is only thinking about one thing. Right. And the brain can be trained. So the more you practice mindfulness, if you do it two, three times a day, um, it's, it becomes like muscle memory for your brain. So you can start to stay in that state better and you learn to focus better. Um, a lot of people think, uh, get diagnosed with ADD, which I'm no longer convinced is actually a thing. I think it's just trauma symptoms. It's just trauma symptoms. Interesting. Um, so ADHD is not its own thing, I don't believe, based on chemicals, this, that, and the other. Um, it's, it's a symptom of trauma. And there's starting to be more supporting evidence to, 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 to show that. I mean, it's probably a bit of both, but um, certainly PTSD symptoms often get misdiagnosed as ADHD. And it's, and it's not. It's just that we've got 10 different things going on in our brain all at once, especially if you're highly creative. Mm-hmm. That is not helpful when it comes to focus. Right. And you're a concept person, not a task person. Right. Right. Exactly. So, um, you know, when you got started down this road uh, towards peer support, and I mean, the, your your uh, your main podcast show came before the trauma or the uh, peer support podcast. So, you know, getting that up and running, what sort of roadblocks have you encountered along the way? Well, uh, the first was learning the gear. It's a hell of a learning curve, uh, depending on how, how far you want to go. Uh, when I first started, the first thing I got was, uh, well, actually, I had nothing. I just had my laptop, period. That was it. That was my first couple of um, goes at it. Was, uh, as I wanted uh, to get better and better at it, I, I picked up a Blue Yeti mic, which is what everybody does the first time. Most people speak into the end of it instead of the side of it, and it's, that's not how that one works. <laughs> so I had to learn all of that. And um, then from there, uh, a mixing board, and then it's like, oh, that isn't quite right. Now I use a, a Rodecaster Pro. So th- there's all the this equipment stuff, and, and it kept costing more and more and more and more money. <laughs> but um, uh, so there, there's that learning curve. But the other side of it is the people that I get on the show, I have relationships with. Impossible to get at people. Uh, people that um, there's just no other way I would ever have a chance to meet them mm-hmm. and sit down and have a conversation. And then that turns into a relationship. And then you have your network. And that was uh, one of the bigger reasons I started the, the Mankey Show podcast in the first place was to build a network because I'm not native to Okotoks. Right. Um, and then I just fell in love with it. I just enjoyed the, all the things that I could learn from other people, the connections. And when you sit down with somebody for an hour, having a meaningful, not a service level, but a meaningful conversation, it's, uh, 
poof, you have a relationship. And I've had some pretty cool guests on uh, the Mankey Show podcast um, that I'm super blessed that they took the time to come sit in my um, living room studio, um, which I've now moved to the kitchen table. Yeah, well, I can relate to that. We live in a one bedroom, uh, 800 square foot house out here in our little property. So our studio is in our office, which is also in our master bedroom. So when you only have one room in the house besides the kitchen and the living room, it kind of narrows your options down for sure. So tell me about that a little bit. What was What was the biggest surprise moment that you can remember without naming names, unless you really want to, from a guest on one of your podcasts where you're like, wow, that was that was fascinating. Oh, there's so many, but, uh, um, well, one, I had man tracker on, uh, Terry, Terry Grant, great, great guy. And just the fact that he would say yes, (laughs) you know, his show is still on Amazon prime, all six Mm -hmm. seasons of it. And, um, uh, just how funny he was. And what a good storyteller, because all you see is the steely-eyed man tracker on, on TV, you know, a man of few words. Well, not in person. He's not a man of few words. That guy can talk. And he's, he was one of the easiest guests I've ever had. You know, you just cool. give him a little nudge and off he goes and he tells one hell of a good story. It was just the easiest interview. And what a great guy. Cool. Um, Isn't he like massively tall? No, no, no. He's about six foot. Oh, I th- I've got to mix it up with somebody else. I thought he was super tall. That's my my bad. Oh, carry on. Last week, Shelton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, Man Tracker's about six foot, maybe just a little under. Uh, super nice. He really is the country gentleman that uh, people think he is. You know, but a better storyteller than than you could than you could believe. So that was a surprise. Um, uh, another surprise both that I got him and, and what a wonderful guest he was, was uh, Theo Fleury, the NHL superstar. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I have probably listened to the episode with me and Theo a dozen times and I'll listen to it a dozen more because there's so much there. And we weren't talking about hockey. Well, a little bit on in the first, he's been on twice. Uh, mm-hmm. But on the second one, it was all about trauma and, and trauma recovery and mindset. But from a champion's perspective, not from the victim's perspective, right. which is all that I'm about. I'm all about the recovery. It's like, yes, this happened. And yes, that is horrific and, and it affects your life. Now, what are we going to do about it? Right. We have to do something about it. Right. Well, you yeah. mentioned something when we were chatting earlier about your first book and, and, uh, you know, our show is really about motivation and mindset and, and I call it the, that motivational guy, but I'm pretty, pretty transparent that motivation by itself is completely useless um, it's something that can get you started, but it will absolutely not get you to the finish line. Uh, but you mentioned something really interesting about the, what you, that you're not a big fan of positive mindset, more of constructive versus destructive. Now, is that, is that a perspective that came out of your background doing peer support and trauma support? Or is that something that kind of just came? Tell me more about that. It just came to me as, as I was writing the book. Um, so the first book I wrote, it was published in 2008, is called Why Not Me? Uh, but not like, why Why me? No, not that. It's, it's like, why not me? As right. opposed, like, when you see somebody else who has what you want, well, why not me too? So it's why not me, the keys to unlock your power and release your potential. And um, as I was uh, writing it, all my 
source material, all the books, the dozens of books that I had to read to, to be able to, to write mine and all the sources, um, I, I started to see the bullshit of positive thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and I really disseminated what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. And in my mind, it just means it works or it doesn't. You know, is this serving you or is this not serving you? Right. It, it's, uh, it's not Pollyanna, uh, everything is wonderful, uh, kind, of, kind of naive naivety. That's not what it is. It's like, is this building my life or is it pulling my life apart? Like alcohol. I um, uh, so many friends that are alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the ones that quit come to the same conclusion. When they finally do it, is this serving me mm-hmm. or this not serving me? And it really boils down to that one question. If it's not serving me, why am I doing it? Right. Why am I doing it? Uh, matter of fact, I, I quit drinking last night and I'm not even an alcoholic. But it was, it was that one question that um, I've quit before, but I, uh, I had a conversation with my wife last night. I said, uh, that, that beer I just finished, that's my last one for the rest of my life. Cool. And she's like, why? I'm like, because it's not serving me. Mm-hmm. There's no upside, zero. Mm-hmm. And I got so many friends that don't drink, most because they're alcoholics, uh, some mm-hmm. for religious reasons, some for performance reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched a six or seven minute video by... Uh, Brian Rose from uh, London Real. Um, so if you if you put in London Real, why I don't drink anymore? It's a six or seven minute video, and it, that's what it boils down to. And it was very powerful to me. But hearing it from uh, a, a very very high performing dude who is an actual addict and alcoholic, but is it serving me or is it not? So last night I decided again, um, but uh, to make it permanent because I've quit like a year here, two years there, just to make sure I could. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, but last night I thought this isn't serving me. And this is also a way for me to support the vast amount of, of um, uh, friends that I have that don't, that are alcoholics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm kind of joining them uh, in solidarity sort of thing. Awesome. Fantastic. That's really interesting. There's um uh, if you haven't seen it yet, there's an interview that Tom Bilyeu does with Trevor Moawad. Um, and this kind of ties into what um, was a bit of a game changer for me, an idea that uh, that choice is a myth, and which I struggle with a lot intellectually because to me, choice is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. But Trevor Moawad, who's a super high-level um, sports psychologist, was sharing a story that he had uh, a chat he had with Vince Carter from the NBA. And when he had had this conversation with Vince, Vince was about 43 and still playing at a very high level, which is absolutely unheard of in the NBA. Your body gives out or your finances give out or whatever gives out before that time. And uh, he talked about how Vince Carter shared this story with him um, about how he, when he sees young athletes, he believes that they, that they're mistaken, that they, they believe they have a choice. He says, you don't have a choice. If you want to perform at a certain level, there are certain things you must do and must not do. And if you choose to do the things you shouldn't do, your performance is going to suffer. So do you really have a choice? 
not if you want to perform at that level, right? And that kind of ties into, you know, making those decisions of does this serve me or not? And if it doesn't, then it's really not a choice anymore, right? It, it's, you're either accepting it or you need to, to spin it out of your life, right? I think that's really, really powerful. Um, <clears throat> moving on to something else here. You know, when you, when you first kind of made the decision to, to start going down this road, is this of recovery and, uh, or not recovery, I'm sorry, of peer support um, and trauma? Was it something that was obvious to you or did you just kind of stumble upon it? The, it, it wasn't obvious in the beginning, that's for sure. So in the beginning, I was invited to come out to a peer support group. I had no interest in joining. Um, it, just, it just seemed weird. And I'm so glad that I actually did go because we weren't sitting in a circle holding hands singing Kumbaya. That's not what happened. Um, we were sharing lessons and learning from each other. And one of the big things was that I realized, oh, not only am I actually injured, and because I, I can see myself and others now, okay, this actually is an injury. It, it legit. But I reckon it's affected you in a similar way. It's affected you in a similar way. And you and you and you and you. Oh, so you actually understand. And by uh, starting to understand that I wasn't alone, I started to understand my, myself better. And everybody thinks they have self-awareness. Extremely few people actually do. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so many components that require, that have to be part of the formula. It's like baking a cake and you got to get it all right to mm -hmm. equal self-awareness. And it's the hardest work anybody will ever do. But without the self-awareness, you don't actually have situational awareness. Um, right. you don't under, if you don't understand yourself, you don't understand your impact on others and how others perceive you, uh, either in a positive or negative way. Uh, so you don't know what to do about it because you don't have the self-awareness in the first place. Right. But peer, peer support, because I could see myself, I had all these mirrors. Uh, <laughs> everybody else in the group is a mirror held up to my face. And they're like, Oh, I have done that. And now that I hear you say it, ooh, I can't do that anymore. Right. <laughs> that's, that's not good. And, and that's one of the biggest powers of uh, peer support. Um, and also you don't feel alone. You know, and you, and you don't feel like the only asshole in the room kind of thing. Right. Um, and there's a lot of power in that. Like these other people are going through the struggle and this is how they overcame it. So that is the biggest benefit that I've been able to get. And with that, that was able to help me help others also get there. Also put a mirror in front of their faces so that they can raise their self-awareness, so that they can raise their situational awareness, so that they can start to improve their relationships with others, whether it's their kids. For me, it was my kids. Right. My, um, I was destroying my relationship with my, with my kids and causing them secondary trauma. Right. Um, and that's not okay. It's not acceptable. So that was my true north was I've, I cannot continue like this uh, or I'm going to have to go backpacking abandon my children because I can't do this to them. I right. can't do to them what's been done to me. And uh, I just can't. So three years later, I don't. And my kids and I talk very, very openly about it. And if you're to talk to them, it's like, they will say, yeah, this is how dad was and this is how dad is. And we like the is a lot better than the was. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think it's so true that, you know, uh, most of us that actually need work and we all need work in some way, very few of us can tell what we need to have done um, 
because we we're looking through all of our filters and everything's right with the world. But, um, Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to that motivational guy podcast. I hope you got some value from this, uh, as my thanks to you, please accept a free gift from us. Go to thatmotivationalguy.com slash change and download a free webinar course that my wife Vanessa and I did on how to change anything in your life. Anything. No strings attached. Don't even have to enter an email address to get the course. It's just our gift and our thanks from us to you. If after going through the course you do get something from it you'll have a chance to subscribe to more good stuff at that point in time but only after we've proven that there's some value for it again thanks so much for listening please subscribe rate and review pretty please and then go out and make it a fantastic day